I'm going to give a Shania Twain prayer um, real quick. You're, you're still the one I run to. You're the, you're one that I belong to. You're still the one I want for life. You're still the one I love. You're the only one I dream of. You're still the one I kiss. All right, Good night. that's enough. That's that. it. I had to read the whole course. It was going right. to bug me if I didn't get the whole course out of the way. And we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Okay, that's that. That's Hail Reaper for the week. <laughs> you are the brave red pioneers of Mars. You do what we could not do. You suffer so that others will flourish. Always remember that obedience is the highest virtue. Investigators are focusing in on terrorist group the Sons of Ares, who's believed to be behind the bombing that claimed the lives of an entire mining crew and technician group yesterday. With winter well on the way, the drafters have a new favorite emerging. Darrow Al Andromedus and fellow House Dranks, the Howlers, led a punishing assault on Pat Al Telemannus and House Minerva today. We'll break it all down for you, coming up next. You're of use because you're more than a weapon. When your wife died, she didn't just give you a vendetta. She gave you her dream. You're its keeper. Welcome to Hail Reaper. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 11 of Hail Reaper. My name is Philip. This is my good friend Jeremy. What is up? What's going on, man? I am just thinking far too much about feral cats right now. Feral cats. Yeah. Okay, good times. And we have producer Josh here with us. What's up, Josh? Uh, hi. Hi. Hey, Josh. <laughs> All right. Uh, producer Tim, announcement number one. Producer Tim is no longer with us. He's uh went on to greener pastures. He's actually a really talented musician and he's, a, like, he's like literally kind of blowing up uh, in some lo-fi scenes and... He, we were encouraging him to go do so. And he has two part-time jobs on top of that. So we have uh, brought on producer Josh, producer Mathar. They'll be helping us out from now on. And we're really excited about that. So thank you, Tim, for all the work you did. And we uh, really appreciate you, bud. Thank you, sir. And then we also have a couple more announcements to make real quick. If you didn't know, today is the last podcast in our season one. So we'll be doing a mailbag episode with Ben Reinert from Pod. We're going to bring him on shortly. Just want to get a couple of these uh, announcements out of the way. And then uh, last announcement is if you want to keep uh, tuned, we have our Patreon. So we're actually recording a Patreon episode later today. We're really excited for that one. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be doing that. So if you want content, uh, we're taking a short break. We're going to bridge the seasonal gap. Um, we're going to have a few episodes on our feed, but you can get more Hail Reaper content uh, in our Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash Hail Reaper. It's $1 a month to be a part of it. Uh, and we you get special content as well as access to our private discord channel we've been having a lot of fun on there what's have, yeah. what's been like the recent highlight for you actually working with uh some of them on the patreon episode coming up yeah you know we we kind of outsourced some of the work for that and uh people were really cool and more than willing to jump in and help us out yeah so it was fun i know you didn't get you weren't privy to that because it was no, like secret I've, communications yes uh behind your back but we had a good time well <laughs> so if you want to be a part of our patreon team again it's patreon.com forward slash hail reaper it's one dollar a month to be a part of that uh we really appreciate our patrons and it helps us to put money back into the podcast pay for production costs xyz it we don't pocket that cash we put it right back into the podcast so anyway without further ado we're going to go ahead and take a quick break this is a shout out to produce producer tim he made this amazing hail reaper slash hell diver sequence for us we're going to go ahead and play that one more time and we'll be back in a moment Welcome to the Helldiver Holographic Training Tutorial. As a Helldiver, you will be issued a protective fry suit. It is imperative that your suit stay sealed sealed at all times, with Mars geothermal gradient of 8 degrees Celsius per kilometer, ambient temperatures in the shafts can reach up to 100 degrees Celsius and the drills 590 degrees Celsius. In the event you are caught in machinery, you've been issued a sling blade to sever and cauterize the ensnared appendage. The blade will also be useful when encountering pit vipers. Growing to as much as 5 meters in length and 16 centimeters in diameter, these 68 kilogram creatures will sense heat and burrow into flesh. 
work expediently, as it is vital for you to reach the day's quota of helium-3 regardless of breakdown or catastrophic event. Proceed to Lesson 1, Claw Drill Basics. We're back from break, and we got Ben Reinert from Hallerpod, our homie, over there. <laughs> uh, how's it going, Ben? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How are you guys doing? It's it's been fun. It's been good. We're, We're rocking and rolling. Walk, yeah. Rocking and rolling. Thanks uh, for having me back. Yeah, dude. Um, so our Cassie's episode that we did with you, people love that. That was so much fun. Um, I think people disliked the flavor of it. I think you brought a, a totally dope energy to it too. So, uh, but That's people really really into that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then you your Cassie's episode on Hallerpod went really well. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that was actually one of our our bigger episodes for sure. We, we were we had a really successful uh, episode there. Yeah, mainly I think thanks to Nick Brinlow and his amazing Cassius impression. So for sure, yeah, it was fun. Those were, those were rad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, voiceovers. Good voice, you guys. Good VO work. And he did he did Ephraim on a recent one too, right? Oh my gosh, he's just killing it. <laughs> yeah. Because do you want him to play Mustang too? Do you think he's like up for that challenge? <laughs> That's he. He actually emailed us and was like, uh, "I wish there were more male characters left so I could do more voices." So I think he yeah. might be a little scared to do a woman's voice. Maybe we'll have see. him do Lyria. You have Lyria next yeah. week, right? Yeah. So try that one out. See Maybe if we can... can talk him into it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, well, we're gonna do a mailbag episode to end our season. We wanted to bring you on because one, you're gonna be the proctor of the episode. Uh, you're going to ask us the questions that people sent in. We have uh, some of our patrons, some of our non-patrons are asking us questions. We kind of gave a broad shout out to everyone on Instagram. Uh, we actually had a Reddit post, I think, too, and just like other places to email us. We had a lot of questions. I don't sadly don't think we're going to get to all of them. I think we'll but at the same time, we're excited to uh, we're excited to answer these. And uh, thank you guys so much if you emailed us a question. And we're going to go ahead and hit it right now. Uh, ben, you have that document up? Yes, I do. Go I'm ahead. And, uh, let's go ahead and do it. Let's just go and uh, fire away. Start asking some questions and feel free to jump in because you are an expert. You're a, you're a, <laughs> you're a panel expert. <laughs> I just want to say before this starts, I am a proctor, but no one's father has been bribing me. So mm. I will not play sides. He'll be fair. That's, that's great. <laughs> Inside right. joke. It looks like the first question is from Sammy um, and it says, when you start a series, especially one like Red Rising, where the side and main characters are so diverse and so important, do you immediately attach to the main character or side characters? And how do you think that affects the rest of the story? Yeah, I'll jump in first on that, I think. Um, for me, I really I really attach to the side characters. I, I think... Um, you know, trust has to be earned. Um, and especially in probably a lot of recent literature, kind of that theme of the unreliable uh, narrator yeah. or, or something of that nature, your, your protagonist, you're not really sure if you can trust them. I like to kind of trust multiple perspectives more than just one. Um, so I tend to attach myself to the surrounding characters to kind of verify the events that go on and uh, before I fall in love with the protagonist. And and uh, for me, Red Rising was the same way. Um, you know, uh, Darrow had kind of some character flaws that we've discussed and kind of vetted out as well. But uh, for the most part, the, the surrounding characters kind of helped me fall in love with him. For me, it's like I actually subscribed. To, well, actually, I read Game of Thrones 10 years ago, and now I have to uh, hate everyone until they can prove it. <laughs> so, uh yeah, I just don't I don't trust anybody. And it's like it's weird. I, I feel like I, I want to like certain characters, but they really like I loved Cassius, you know, and I felt I was sure. so like let down when he like traded on Daryl. But I mean, rightfully so to a point. But when he did that and I was like, oh, dude, there was my guy. Like I like liked him. I kind of let my guard down for a minute with Cassius. And then I was like, oh, crap. So um, so I, I don't nobody. Nobody's my answer to Sammy's question until they <laughs> prove it. So, yeah, I'm what with about Jeremy. You, I'm a much more of a side character guy. So. Um, I love seeing the world through the main character's eyes, especially when you get that first person point of view like you do in these books. And then um, I like to pick out my friends and like think that I'm going to uh, be friends with this guy like Cassius. So uh, yeah. that's how I uh, read the books for sure. When you say friends, you mean like 
go on picnics with each other and like hang out phone calls. Yes, definitely. So, yeah. I mean, texting <laughs> for yeah. sure. Those Text. are great benefits to those friends. <laughs> uh, why don't you go to the next one, Ben? All right. The next one's from Dorothy. And she says, what house would you want to be drafted into? Um, what house would you be most likely to be drafted into at the Institute based off of your individual personalities? I would want to be drafted into, I think, House Diana. I Only because I want to like play in tree forts. Uh, most like, like, yeah. So it's not a personality no, match. You just want to play in tree forts. I just want to play in tree forts. Um, okay, that's <laughs> legitimate. Uh, but and Tamara seems okay. But yeah. So anyway, uh, as as Primus of House uh, Diana, but I think that I'd probably be drafted into either House Mars or House Pluto, just because of. Uh, oh man. I, I'm, okay, so <laughs> please explain. Every time. Yes. Okay. Here's why. Um. Because every time I play a role-playing game, like whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or Shadowrun or anything, I'm a very severe character, like very Joker or Deadpool-esque. And, <laughs> I can attest to this. And uh, I like just going like freaking crazy and uh, and killing as many people as possible. And so I think that, that my alter ego in those games <laughs> might come out in the drafting process and my rage metric might be too high. Um, and I'm not an angry person. I've never been in a fight or anything like that, but I think that just wish you could be. I guess I, yeah, I, I <laughs> weirdly wish I could be. So that's my answer. That's funny, man. All right. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to jump in and, and mine's boring. I'm a boring person anyway. I've always said it, but, uh, I'm, <laughs> don't laugh at me. I'm, I'm Minerva. Uh, so it's just that a- analytical side, uh, introspective and, uh, that's always how I've been. And it's funny cause I, you know, now that I have my son, uh, who's going to be eight pretty soon. He's a carbon copy of me. I know. And it's so funny to see probably what my parents saw when I was young and, and how his approach and analytical he is. And he'd definitely be Minerva right there with me. So yeah. Good 100%. times. Ben, what do you got, dude? <laughs> well, you made House Diana sound really appealing with the tree forts. <laughs> I know. So, so Stanley yes. Robinson style. I know. So now I kind of <laughs> want to go there, but I know I would end up in House Mars because I definitely have the the rage under the underlying rage Dang. of someone like Roke, who would seems <laughs> like a poet on the outside, but he definitely has that rage underneath. And so like if you crossed me, it's over. And um, you know, then I'm going to give you your head in a box. That's how Dang. I would wow. Well, I would do it, you know? Ben. He's very honest though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not many people would admit that about themselves. Wow. <laughs> That's what. Uh, that's why he's in the insurance business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just so maniacal. There you go. Let's see. Like I'm denying you your claim. <laughs> just laugh. Arms up, laughing maniacally the whole time. Only if they make me mad, though. Otherwise, yeah. I'm all here. That's like, funny. Take my money. I'll I'll write you a check. Let's hit that next one up from Adam. All right. Yeah. Next question is from Adam. It says, "If Mustang was not raised by the Telemannus family." instead raised by the Augustus family, assuming that she allies with her brother, Adrius, do you think Daryl would have been able to succeed in starting the rising at the Institute? If so, who would he choose to ally with? I don't think Daryl would have been very successful uh, at all. Actually, I think that he would have flamed out like he would have essentially become Titus. You know, we, we talked about this multiple times throughout the our season like the Darrow needs these partners you know and he has the EO as a partner he has Dancer as a partner and Mustang kind of is like the the finishing touch she's like the icing on the cake so I I really think that Darrow if he doesn't uh, encounter Mustang at the Institute uh, and and we do really do um, see like that kind of partnership of the twins um, between the the Augustus twins I think that Darrow's just done for like 100% there's no chance at all um, and if I think as far as who his ally would be, I mean, he, I mean, the Cassius is no longer an ally. I mean, I it's Severo. And that's the only that's the that's the only real answer, I guess, that I have. It's the obvious answer. But those two together have been good in uh, in doses. But you you see through the progression of the story. I don't like they don't really they don't really give each other exactly what they need. Like Darrow does need that outside source. And Mustang is always that outside source through the kind of the later part of the trilogy. What about you, Jeremy? Great question. I, I like that Adam's kind of bringing that nature-nurture kind of question into this. And on this one, I'm going to fall in line with with uh, you, Philip, and, and say that the Telemannus family is 
probably extremely pivotal in how she yeah. was raised and, and who she became. Um, and we obviously see that as, as the series continues. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think she has that moment with Darrow after she pulls him out of the mud and would be capable of teaching him what he needed uh, in order to succeed at, at, at the Institute. And because of that, I think he just kind of continues to play at these um, kind of politics and this, this rage that he's going after um, and probably sticks with like Roke and Cassius or something like that, I, I, I would think. I think that shows the specialness of the Telmanis family and like kind of what they're here for. Uh, they're really here to be, you know, we have like some lines. I don't want to play spoilers, but we have some lines from Kavix that, you know, he speaks to this. You know, he's he raised his kids differently. And we don't really see that from any other family um, very like outwardly. We have people almost pretend like they're progressive in the sense that they like they accept lower colors or other types of caste systems. But I think that the only family we know of, at, you know, at the earlier part in the story that kind of like walks the walk and talks the talk is really the Telemannis family. I don't, unless Ben, is there another family I'm missing? I don't think so. I, I would agree with you a hundred percent there. Thinking about evil Mustang is <laughs> quite yeah. the formidable opponent. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree with you guys. I don't think he's going to succeed in the way that he did because they really developed the philosophy of the rising together, like in the cave. Mm -hmm. And sure. um, I, without that, I don't think that Daryl really ever gets there. Um, who he would choose to ally with, probably Roke. I mean, that's really that's all yeah. that's left well, for him to, by the end. That's to find him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's like actually, yeah, I think Roke's another good, like really good call out there, actually. Good job, Ben. So yeah, I think um, that would be his best chance. And then you get into that question with Roke later on is just, a lot of people think that he could have been talked into the rising. So I guess it comes down to that, like whether you believe in Roke and or or not. Dang. Alternate reality. The alternate reality of Roke believing in the rising oh and the alternate goodness. reality of Mustang being like evil <laughs> yeah. Mustang or, or Dark Mustang. <laughs> yeah. Dark if Dark Mustang exists, Darrow is screwed. Like a hundred percent screwed. Sure. <laughs> it like there's no way he's smarter or better than and she she alone, just her, not her partnering with her brother too. Oh, yeah. If she partners with her brother, it's like double boned. But like, right. I, like, but it just I think her by herself is like she can just handle it. Oh, for sure. So, I would agree. Yeah. OK, next one. Next question is from Miles. Um, he says who's this guy who is this Miles guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Who's Miles? <laughs> Miles. Give a is, shout out to Miles. This man. is our our wonderful artist. He draw he draws amazing episode art for us every week. We can't wait to get his emails. Every time I get one, I send it directly to Aaron. I'm just like, look at that. <laughs> yeah, on Howler. That's like always like the treat of HowlerPod is like the Friday morning release of the artwork. He's legit on Instagram. He's super legit. Yeah. He's giving like so many good looks at these characters that don't get drawn a lot. And that's I, I really love him for mm -hmm. that. The Ephraim art was the my favorite. I think one of my favorite ones. Uh, and then also the uh, Apollonius like art, like yeah. the Wrath family. Those were my favorites so far. His work on the armor. Uh, drawing mm -hmm. the armor and the the suits are is just amazing. I really I think my favorite ones that he's done that he has done are uh, the Raw family. All five of those were really good. Yeah, is it that, what's his Instagram handle? Is it at Miles Binsky? Yep, Miles. Binsky. Okay, someone yeah, check that out if he, you haven't checked that out. I, I think he puts in a ton of work for you guys because there's not a lot of like reference art for some of these characters. So he must just be scouring <laughs> the books like every week for you. <laughs> exactly, especially when we ask him to draw five characters uh, like we did with oh Telemonasis. <laughs> How much? How much do you, you pay him? <laughs> how much money is he making? Miles awkward. Has actually volunteered his services for Howard Wow, so, wow. Yeah. Miles, Dude, don't let him go. Dang. <laughs> We're gonna buy him some Terramana tequila though by the end of the year. So. There you go. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> All right. What does Miles say? <laughs> his question: If you could put Pax back into Pierce's hat of death, not knowing who else might come out, would you? If you could pick someone else, who would it be? Oh, okay. I'll feel this one first. <laughs> You're like, uh. I'm, uh, I'm by nature not a Vegas gambler kind of guy. So I, I have to say I would not put his name back in the hat. I would allow Pax to die. I did talk about how I would love to save him at some point. Yeah, you um, did. I don't know if that was on the I Patreon episode. I think it was a Patreon episode, episode yeah. yeah. And it's just because he's, you know, he's a great character, but he doesn't really change the the story much by his death. So I would let him go. But let's say I like, play devil's advocate a little bit so I can kind of answer Miles' question. If, if I were to put him back in, 
oh man, that's super risky, but I'd probably look for possibly one of the howlers to be picked out is, is probably who I'd want to want to see Gulp. go. I, I know that's kind of that's racy to say, but, <laughs> but I, I don't know who else I'd choose. You know, it, that's tough because everyone else really alters the story a, a, yeah. a ton. I'm not, I'm, I'm letting it ride with Pax. Okay, like, good. And I would, uh, I mean, yeah, I know he's got like, there's a lot of people that love him. Like, I feel like it's weird. Like you even look at, um, I know it's a, a weird like temperature thermometer for like how people love uh, certain characters. But if you go every now and then you look on the uh, Red Rising subreddit and just people just go character rankings and there's like a post and it gets like, I don't know, 20, 50 comments, just somewhere in that nature. And Pax Telemannis does show up like semi frequently on those. And I'm like, he's in the book for like two minutes, like, but he people love him. And I <laughs> and it, I think it's because like, you know, he makes you laugh. He's very endearing. Um, and so there's like a part of him that I think kind of and he, he lives on through the story, like in various ways. Um, but I'm not willing to risk a howler. I'm not willing to risk Severo, especially, um, you know, because there's the for the those for the clarification. Pierce Brown. Actually, Ben, you want to talk about the death hat a little bit and just kind of clarify what that is, because I think you might do a little better, <laughs> a, a shorter version of that than I would. I'll talk to you. I long mean, about supposedly it. he was writing the scene, but everyone's room, uh, everyone in the room. He put their name in a hat, except for Darrow, and shook up the hat and pulled out a name, and that's who was dying in that situation. Yeah. So, yeah, I would have said that way longer, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I would have, it would have been, you yes. guys would have taken, like, a coffee we, break, and I would have still be, talking about it. We're actually going to be able to answer two more listeners' <laughs> questions, because, <laughs> because Philip did not explain that. Yeah. Uh, you're welcome, everyone. Yeah. Uh, so I'm um, yeah I don't what about you Ben are you letting Pax go or are you I'm letting him go too I know I feel bad about it yeah. but um, no one's I saving him I know it's like it's an impactful moment and we could talk all we want about alternate histories or I mean alternate timelines where maybe Severo's name gets pulled and then Pax is his number two I think oh that's gosh. still pretty uh, fun story pass. but it changes <laughs> a lot of the dynamics especially with Fitchner so um, I don't think I would change anything. Um, just because we still have the whole rest of the Telemannus family. So, except, for, uh, kind, yeah, you know, not, 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 not. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't get into spoilers, but we've got a lot of Telemannuses. There are a lot of Telemannuses. That's all I'm going to yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, no, no, my, my sister hasn't read all the way through yet. <laughs> She's on iron gold still. Uh -oh. So, uh, but yeah, no, good call. Um, I actually moved this question up. I want to do this in tandem. So go and read Kendra's question. All right. Kendra says, I want to know your thoughts on Pax from books, book one. I feel like he is very overrated and has this cult following. He gets a ship and a child named after him. And for what? Meh, she says. <laughs> Isn't this like, this is spice, dude. This I, is, yeah. this is hot. Yeah. Um, so I feel like Miles just like turned off the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, I think Kendra needs to make sure like, you know, as she's driving, no one's following her. So keep checking <laughs> oh the rear view mirror. <laughs> no, I like the question. And on first read of the original trilogy, we should put a spoilers tag at the beginning of this, uh, of this, uh, yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah. When I read the first trilogy, I kind of rolled my eyes a couple times, like the, the, with like packs, like, okay, like he wasn't, again, he was in the book for like two minutes and in the first book. And then the second book, he has the ship named after him. And then they name a kid after him. I, but in retrospect, I get it. On the first read, I did have that same thought Kendra had, but I I think over time it just becomes more. Um, you see but, the impact the Telemannus family has on the on the greater story and how connected Mustang is with them. It's essentially it's her parents, so if, this makes sense. And then Darrow is so close to Mustang that is an adopted ideology, so of course it makes sense. Um, but, but I you think, have to kind of like go into the why it makes sense, right? And yeah. And, I know you and I kind of talked about this in prep and it, it makes sense from the, from Pierce's perspective. You know, uh, we think that he probably had a very deep affinity for this character for Pax and oh, yeah. probably really regretted to see him go. Um, I mean, it, I'd like to kind of, it's a lot of speculation, right? I don't, go for it. I don't like to get too heavy into speculation, but you almost wonder how much the Telemannus family would actually uh, like factor in if Pax lived. Yes. Like, would there be a need to write, like kind of his family lineage and, and everything and bring that to life if he was still there. I would probably argue they 
might still be there, but not maybe in an as impactful a position. And then the second thing is he planned for Pax to be in the second book. Right. It was his, like he had this whole plan for him um, to be Ragnar and Pax to be the Bash brothers. And it didn't come to fruition because he came out of the hat. So he was, uh, I think, a little, you know, he's, I don't think bothered is the right word, but he was kind of like shucks, you know, I guess. Yeah, well, he, he definitely honors the hat. I mean, you can tell because yeah. I, I don't think he would have made that decision on his own. Yeah, what about you, Ben? Any uh, comments on that one? It definitely makes sense in world that he would like name his ship Pax because Pax saved his life. Um, yeah. And it would make sense that they would name their child Pax because that was Mustang's best friend and he saved Daryl's life. So, I mean, those things make sense to me, but I do kind of agree that I, I'm not as close to Pax as probably a lot of fans are. He is really fun, especially in that first book. And yeah. you get reminded of that when like, it's been a while since I've read the original Red Rising, but I've um, gone back and been looking through it lately for some character study stuff. And he's a really fun, really fun character. And like, what about Helga? Remember his for his love, yeah. Helga? City in love? That's like a fun. No, Ben, I, I really, really like the the Mustang perspective because I wasn't even approaching it from that from that way. Yeah. I mean, she was raised with him. And I, I keep ty- thinking about like Darrow naming everything. But you're right, like, yeah. especially with you know, their, um, with their son, definitely spoiler. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. But, uh, yeah. We got to put the alert on there, but, uh, yeah, the, the child packs, he, um, it makes total sense from, from Mustang's perspective. So yeah. Okay, cool. Let's go with the next one. All right. This one's from Gina. She says, I don't think EO was in on the events that led to her hanging, but just how much did she know about what was outside the minds and about the society? I'm going to take this one first because this is like a hot button issue for me. <laughs> I think um, for all of us. Um, clear so, out. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I'm driving. I'm driving down the lane. I'm going to dunk it on someone's face right now. Um, no, I'm not going to be like, I'm not like mad or anything, but there's a lot of speculation uh, like throughout, like you can find wherever you find Red Rising blogs, where like, it Reddit. It beyond speculation to conspiracy theory. It's complete conspiracy. Yeah. Think about who EO is and think about like, what she did like she if you strip her of this idea that this is her original thought if you just say that like if you give her essentially very little autonomy her character is kind of void in a way like it just means that she was either coerced or told like if you do this all these things will happen and that is insane like thinking like she has no concept of what probably even a carver is like mickey so like she's not going to believe that you know like hey like we're going to take your your husband and create him into a super soldier. He's going to infiltrate society. And like just like the the steps of that. Like the logic that she has. Or is available to her. That's not. It, it can't happen. She's not going to even see that. But also again her only choice. Like or rather if this is like. If she's coerced or told. This can be a possibility. I think that just makes her really. It doesn't make her special anymore. Right. She just becomes this like kind of device. And that's it. And she already kind of is. For Pierce Brown's story, but in the world, she's just merely a device and she was just set up to be killed. And that's like, that's not cool at all. It's kind of like, it kind of makes her, um, it kind of just makes her just like an accessory. And I think she's a lot more special. She's beautifully written. She's very intentional. And I, I think that if you do that to EO, um, you strip her of almost everything that she is to the story. And I think it's ultimately unfair for people to create that speculation for her as a person. Yeah, I, I would. Totally agree with you. Um, the only thing I'd add is just kind of some other quotes we get from her. You know, she talks about um, kind of creating that uprising in Lycos and believes mm-hmm. that, you know, if they succeed, Mars will be theirs. Yeah. And Mars it, will be Mars can be ours. Yeah. And, and it clearly does show the scope of, of her knowledge. She has no idea that Mars has already been terraformed. Um, so, you know, when Gina asks, you know, what is her uh, knowledge of outside the mines? I think it's zero i i think she is clearly aware of society i I, they have the hc um octavia comes on definitely shows the hierarchy and how that works so so they clearly know all about society and how that works but but only in relation to luna because they don't believe the terraforming has happened outside of that so they know mining efforts are going on but that's about it one more thing to add too and i want ben to uh, chime in as well like i think that she's a very intelligent person like incredibly intelligent i think that of anyone in Lycos or just the red, like a low red of any low reds, I think she's going to have some sort of speculative knowledge that this, that the golds have a more oppressive hold than even she realizes. Like she has some basic understanding. I think she has a basic understanding that 
it's much bigger than even she knows. She just doesn't know the extent because I think she's that intelligent. But um, that's just one thing I want to add real fast. What about you, Ben? I would agree with you 100%. And and I love what you said. Like, it takes away all of her impact as a character if she was just, like, coerced into it or she's, like, a secret agent. Um, mm -hmm. That doesn't, I don't know. That just does it takes away the impact of the character and the impact of that moment, especially on Darrow. Um, it's fun to think about that, but I... I think as far as the story goes, it, she needs to be a character that doesn't know the whole story. She's got her ideas, um, and then she passes those on to Darrow through this extremely impactful act, and and that's how we get we kick off our story. Like that's yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> I yeah, don't need her any having, more than that. <laughs> her having her having autonomy is yeah. like really in, it's central to the entire story. Exactly. Rather. So we'll go ahead and uh, do the next question, Ben. Okay, this one is from Aaron, and it says, I always have a hard time conceptualizing or visualizing the sigils and how they are attached to the hand. Uh, she says, like, is it something that is implanted after birth? Is it something someone is born with? Is it some kind of genetic code? Is it skin, metal, bone? Um, so she, she wants to know what's up with the sigils, basically. Yeah, um... I don't think we know a whole lot about the sigils uh, overall. So this is the answer to this is going to be purely opinion or we'll and, call it when it's well, not, but, but the majority of it. Yeah. <laughs> Except for chapter three is the only time that, it, I mean, it, it, it's really yes. like brought to attention. Is, and it's specifically about the red sigils. Yes. And, and go ahead with that. Well, I mean, so Darrow is feeling his hand and this is a moment, a shared moment between him and EO in his internal dialogue. And that what that is, is like he's feeling his red sigil and he kind of, makes a remark says it feels like home and it feels right to him and he describes it as a type of cartilage in like in kind of his uh backside of his wrist area um and then he says he kind of mentions eo and saying they don't really feel right to her on her rather he, he feels like she should be a gold and then he makes kind of that reference like they just feel like she's uh, this red these red sigils are beneath her but for him it feels right and again they're referencing they are cartilage yeah, but I mean, then you go to like Mickey's sigils, you know, for the violets mm -hmm. and they like they move, they move. Yeah, yeah I got thoroughly like, confused with that. <laughs> yeah, they're animated sigils because I, I would agree that um, that they are kind of integrated with the bone or, or the cartilage for that matter. Uh, Some on sort the reds. of DNA, yeah. But with something else, you know, they can they can move. So it's almost like I, I don't know how that works. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely science fiction. -y. But it, it seems like all the different colors have different qualities of their sigils. I mean, blues, like, I mean, blues have, like, uh, I mean, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you're a big Orion fan as well. But, like, they have, like, <laughs> circuitry built into uh, component, and they can sync with, like, machines and stuff. And that probably is built into some sort of DNA kind of coding or whatever. So we have all these different characteristic qualities of the, the, the kind of the cast system. And we just don't really fully know, I guess, unless you want to have any more insight. It seems like they come out of genetic modification to me. Mm -hmm. That would be my guess. <laughs> they, Mickey talks they, a lot about eugenics. They and, do. And, they, and, they, and they, they talk a lot about, you know, how the people of Earth were, were very different. And yeah. I, I forget the phrasing, but they do lean toward like eugenics and, and modification yeah. um, for all the colors. So, so I, I think it's definitely written into their code now. Uh, and for that reason, I'd also speculate that that they're born with them yeah i mean because we only see because darrow had to have his removed and mm -hmm. and the, by the third book he has his completely removed and he's the first person in x amount of years it's it's hundreds of years i can't remember the actual uh date but he's the first person in hundreds of years to not bear sigils and that's like a huge deal he holds them up on the on an hc and people go like wild and it's it's a dope moment yeah anything else to add on that one ben yeah i would agree i think that they would come when they're born they would just have them mm. it's got to be part of the genetic code it seems like to me and i would say there's some kind of combination of material and cartilage and bone fused together you know um now that would be my best guess now darrow's uh darrow's sun packs is he's without them as well is that right yeah or am i okay so are we speculating again that like Probably someone went in, maybe a carver or something like that, and changed his his actual genes so they wouldn't express upon yeah. birth. And we don't find that out. And when he arrives in like the that's third book, true. we find it out post. We find out in Iron Gold mm -hmm. that that's the case. 
and he's got so the rose knows? gold eyes. So it seems like yeah. he's a mix of red and gold DNA. So I don't know. It's interesting. What for sure. a good question for Pierce Brown if we yeah. ever get no, to talk I, to him. I know, and that's that's a good call, Aaron, because you know we can use this. <laughs> you know, because I, I think it, I think it's a fantastic question, and to kind of vet that out more with Pierce and, and actually and this is, he has his world built out in his mind completely. So. And congrats to all three of us who are literally doing this off the top of our head and making references. And, uh, <laughs> and we're, so even if we failed that question miserably, at least we had a good conversation about it. <laughs> right. Totally. Uh, so, uh, go ahead and do the next one, bud. Okay. Next question is from grace. And she says, is there a bad guy that you empathize with the most? I'll take this one. I think, I think Ben and I might have the same answer. I can't remember if we we kind of briefly talked about each of these questions, um, like like twenty seconds a piece. But uh, um, but Cassius, um, I know he's not a villain for the duration of the story, but uh, I I wildly empathize with him when you get like when you can take a rearview mirror and look at the character and look at the totality of where he's at. Um, he goes through hell and back, and uh, he is. Darrow says in Golden Sun, he's not a bad man. He's just my bad man. So it's like he is a villain to an extent. Um, and But he he lives he lives in that villain area for a, a, a prominent part of the first trilogy. And uh, I really feel for him, um, not on the first read, because you're not supposed to. But when you have the the gift of hindsight and you can see the, the character in totality, uh, I really feel bad for him. I really empathize with him. And... He is a villain in large swaths, uh, but I don't know if that was the best answer that Grace is looking for, but it's like it's my answer because I I don't really empathize with the people that like Aja, like I'm not going to empathize with that for, you know, or, so. Um, so how about you, Ben? I would say first trilogy definitely broke um, during our mm. rereads. Uh, of Morningstar, Aaron and I. Good answer. We we found ourselves empathizing with Roke a lot, um, even though we ended up like hating him um, and and really <laughs> turning on him pretty hard by the end of it. Um, we definitely empathize with him throughout the situation in Morningstar, where um, Darrow is, you know, uh, not necessarily keeping him very close as a friend, and that can be tough sometimes. Um, second trilogy wise, definitely Ephraim. Um, mm. I, I have been that person a lot of times in my life, uh, earlier, you know, that's been kind of depressed and, uh, angry. And so I can, I can definitely empathize. Are you saying you're a sad boy, from. Ben? <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I can be a sad boy from time to time. No, that's, that's a good call. You and I are both Ephraim fans. I, I, I love that guy. He's a great character. Uh, Jeremy. All right. I'm going to do it. So, uh, like Kendra, I'm also going to have to be watching my back after this one. Um, oh, my gosh. What are you going to say? I already know yeah. it's coming. <laughs> I know. And, ben, I and you know what? I think Ben's going to back me up. I'm going with Lysander. <laughs> oh, God. I'm I here said for it. you. There it is. No one, no, no one doing that one. <laughs> I forgot um, that you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny because it, we read other characters that are, that are so deeply flawed in the series and... I know you and I talk about it and you give you give a lot of people passes for, for some some pretty brutal things in in their history. In yes. This, in this series. But you hate Lysander. And, and I I get, you know, I'm, we're not going to go into this. It yeah, no, you're, you're a certain be, fan of a certain it'll be an hour and a half before we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, there will be another time to completely justify my position yeah. and and we'll bring Ben on to help have my back. Uh, the, but, the tables will be thrown and uh, coffee mugs be broken over heads. And, no, yeah. I. I I do have empathy with him because he's a product of his upbringing, right? We, we talked again about nature nurture before. And, and, you know, I, I really dig into that pretty heavily. And, and I, I look at him and I say, man, like, you know, his parents are dead. His grandmother raised him and she was an absolute tyrant and taught him everything wrong in life. Yeah. So it's no wonder he goes the direction he does, but I don't. I I would love to see how his arc turns out in, in book six. I'm I'm kind of really crossing my fingers, hoping for the best. Uh, it might not go well, but uh, I'm I'm hoping for it too. So I don't know. Ben, do you have any quick thoughts to add to that answer? I think that the reason people hate him so much and the reason they get so frustrated with him is because they want to like him, and there's a lot of qualities mm -hmm. that they do like about him. And so the fact that he makes the decisions that he does, I think that's why people get so frustrated, and and then that's why the hate levels get so high. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, that's why they get high. Um, Philip won't let us go into that anymore. I'm just breathing out deep, big breaths, and I'm just going to be like, Alexander. Yeah. So um, (laughs) let's go to Hank right now. Okay. All right. Hank says, why does Darrow knock out Fitchner at the end of their exchange? Drove me crazy for the longest time. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think Jeremy and I actually, did we talk about this on the we, phone? Yeah. We did. And uh, you actually have like a really. Uh, I hope I can replicate the answer then because I can't remember. Oh, you nailed yeah. it. So you're okay. taking this one for sure. I'm so, not even going to jump in. <laughs> so basically, um, yeah. So I think that I can't remember what I said now. Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking about it. So I think that what, so. You want me to help you? Yeah. Okay. Start it off. All right. So he is the new Uncle Narrow. That's what it was. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Daryl likes to take risks. This is a character that uh, we saw back all the way back in chapter one in the mines when he does the 100 meter drop, which is a scene that we talked about on that Daryl episode and how much he just doesn't. He kind of gets fixated on a single thing and he wants to do it and he's no deviating from it. Uh, we see that with Severo. We see that with Fitchner. We see that with Nero. We see that with a lot of other characters it's like, don't do this, bro. And he's like, I'm doing it, man. Like, that's who Darrow <laughs> is. And um, we see like so. I think Darrow essentially learns his lesson in his own mind is that he doesn't want another Uncle Nero episode where Nero is like, hey, stop drilling. And he's like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it my way and you're not going to interfere. So he punches um, Fitchner because he knows he wants to go and take he wants to win the game, but he also wants to uh, take out proctors in the process. Fitchner is a proctor and Fitchner is on the, he's on the inside. You don't know it at the time, but he's on the inside. And so by going ahead and kind of removing the obstacle, because Fitchner isn't presented to be an obstacle in the moment, but he could be. So Darrow is actually kind of just going in for the sweep, sweep the leg early, removing the option. And also he takes grab boots from him, which are utilized in taking Olympus. And he needs those grab boots in order to do various things. Um, but that's like the one thing he needs. So he has to kind of remove the obstacle. And that obstacle at the time is Fitchner. He doesn't want to be told to stop drilling. He doesn't want to be told to uh, deviate from his plans. He's got his plans. He's going full bore. And essentially, Fitchner in that moment is the new Uncle Nero. Enough said. There I, go. I like it. Ben, what, what do you have? No, that's perfect. I was just going to say, I think he just wants to steal his grab boots. But uh, that's, that's what it. I said yesterday. And then, and then Philip came in with his really <laughs> awesome say. Uncle Nero yeah. <laughs> parallel. And I was like, OK, you're talking about that yeah, one. Yeah, that's a much I better can't answer. remember what I said. I was like, uh, what did I say? <laughs> I would, so Jeremy and I talk about Red Rising so exhaustively, like off the podcast, that I we say all sorts of stuff that doesn't get onto the podcast because it's all like in the moment. Uh, okay, let's go for Richard. Richard says, if Red Rising does eventually become a t- TV series of a Game of Thrones level, the writers, of course, would have to cut out, cut out or manipulate parts of the book to work for TV. So focusing on just Red Rising and not the other books... What plot points do you think have to stay for the show and what could be cut? Also, if they take a more side, uh, if they take more side characters and make them more prominent in the show, which character would you want to see get more shine? Yeah, we can take this in kind of a round robin. I'll, I'll start it out and I'm sure we'll talk a few times amongst ourselves because this is a fun question. Uh, I, I think one problematic uh, thing as far as the literature is concerned, not in the literature because I, I love the it's the carving, right? Yeah. And you, you can't take away the carving. I, I think we actually talked about that on, on one of our shows as well. I think one like the episode nine, we talked about that. Like you said, sometimes it's hard to keep straight what we talk about yeah. outside the show or not. But um, but for TV, you know, you're, you're going to end up with a kind of a montage. You know, that's the danger of it. I don't think they should go that direction mm. with the carving, but you could. But if they kind of bring it out, I mean, that would take two shows probably, you know, two episodes, which would be too much. Like a carving, yeah, just like it'd be, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's going to be a real so, Captain America situation. Just stick him in a, <laughs> oh, just, oh, dude, put him in the microwave and up. just turn yeah. the dial. I, yeah, I, I said that you, Darrow, can't be a hot pocket. You yeah, just throw him in the microwave, and then he's like ready in ninety seconds. Um, so I think they're going to reduce that. I think they're going to make that more succinct. Um, and one one thing to kind of answer the other side of the question real quick that I think they'll do with that is play up another character. And I think they'll utilize Cassius for that. I think they'll give him more play. I think they'll actually, uh, you'll meet him earlier than you do in the book series. And they'll use that POV uh, in the television show to actually break up uh, that carving scene. It's like, 
what are the rest of the gold children doing while Darrow is kind of, uh, you know, being put into his little hot pocket sleeve and, and microwave <laughs> the sleeve. Dang. <laughs> got to be in the sleeve. Though the hot, yeah. Have you tried a hot pocket that you don't put in a sleeve? You know, I don't know if I have maybe yeah. the paper towel roll instead of the sleeve. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it's been like <laughs> 12 years, 15 years since I've had a hot pocket. So anyway, okay, Ben, what, what do you have on that one? As far as what they would cut, I think, yeah, it's going to come down to like a lot of our side characters are going to get cut. We're going to just streamline everything. Yeah. Who do you think we lose? I think just a lot of your your antagonists are going to be kind of rolled into one or two characters like yeah. um, especially like your gold antagonists. Mm. Um, I think it's just going to be rolled into a lot of that's going to be rolled into like Cassius and it's going to be more of a friend of me type situation between the two of them. Um, Cause you just got to think about screen time. You've got to get Cassius screen time, Roke screen time, Severo screen time. And it's like, who else are we getting screen time to on house yeah. Mars at that point? So oh, like sure. Antonia is going to be an issue. Titus is going to be an issue. Um, as far as what they would add, I think they're going to play up. I like your idea of meeting like Cassius or somebody like that outside the Institute and kind of having those storylines um, run into each other once they get to the Institute. I also feel like they're going to play up the Sons of Ares role. Mm, yeah. um, Dancer, the that that whole situation, I feel like is going to be a much more involved as far as like we're going to get cuts back to them while Tarot's in the Institute or something like that. It feels like uh, that part maybe weaved into the story a little bit more and expanded. I have the same answer as Ben does. I'll, I'll kind of speak to it a little more as far as in book. So by chapter 20, you're about at the Institute and that's the 44 chapter book. And as soon as you get to chapter 20, Mateo, Dancer, Harmony, everyone is just from that, like that level of the book is completely gone. And how do you make a TV show? How do you how are you supposed to bring an audience in to remember those characters? If you go and if you especially if you make the um, the show where you're going episode by episode and people, you know, people don't watch like, you know, you and I watch TV and sometimes you watch there's a show you watch with like the ultimate intent. And there's sometimes you just kind of put on the background. But how do you make a show that's for everyone so people can kind of casually watch it and then also be diehards? You have to be able to go back and reflect on the Sons of Aries. Who is Dancer? What is he doing while while uh, mm. while uh, Darrow is at the Institute? And if you don't make those callbacks, people are just going to be like, who's this guy? And, you know, as far when season two comes or whatever, because as far as Dancer's line goes, you do not see him till after the Iron Reign in book two. Like it is nuts. Like his disappearance is heavy for as far as a book goes. Um, but you have in that and you have the uh, obvious advantage of you know, reading it and like kind of, you know, not necessarily memorizing, but when you read something, you're internalizing it much differently. So I think that that is a uh, important to reflect back. Also, uh, Titus, Antonia, um, Pollux, uh, you know, all these characters. Uh, uh, I'm forgetting the gold's name. That's like uh, Vixus. Like these characters, they're they're going to be one person essentially. Like there's no way to like um, maybe they're a group of thugs uh, or kind of goons around Titus, but they're not going to have names specifically and, and character qualities like Pollux has a you know the gravelly voice and he's kind of he pops in to kind of do things like he's such a needless character in, in that sense of a TV show yeah I, so you both kind of answered the same way so I'll just uh, posit a question to both of you I so you named Titus right and I guess when I think of him I mean other than like triggering Cassius like is he really that important like do you need Titus just because he's another red that got carved yeah, I think that's the only you can and you can play that up so heavily without it being where you have this you have this introduction of who he is and he's this big brute. It can kind of all it can come on fast. And that's what we talked about in episode nine. He said, if there's something from this book you would change, I would just kind of condense the tightest chapters in general. I just don't I think you can still make that reveal heavy and weighty and um, like like, whoa, without it necessarily being like all this like exposition of who this character is and what he is and what he's about. You get a very vivid idea. Pierce is so good at giving you a very vivid idea of who he is on the first day of the Institute. He, the Titus war chapters. I mean, I still know who he was. I didn't, I didn't forget for a second who he was. And so building him into a reveal, like you can do that. You can do that within one episode. I think mm. Ben, what do you got? 
Yeah, definitely. I, I, uh, I like that idea, like just tied us over one or two episodes, you know, that s- makes more sense to me. Um, and I, I think that dancer is like primed for an expanded role just based on what you were talking about right there. Yeah, um, I like that thought from you guys too. Yeah. Like, I feel like he's a character that's going to be, have a different end to his story too. And probably an earlier one, um, on a TV show. Uh, because you need that like mentor role. Uh, and then we're going to need Dan Darrow to like move past that mentor role. So um, I think he's going to be a much bigger part uh, of a TV show than he was in the book series. And that's crazy. I hadn't even thought about that, that he doesn't show up until after the Iron Rain. Which is I love that character for me. So, I mean, I know you guys know that, but um, that's fun. That's I would I would love that. I would love more dancer because you get so little of him in the books. Um Ben, we're going to do two more questions, so go ahead and read the next one. Okay, this next one is from Maya. She says, when planning out the episodes, how did you narrow down which characters had the most profound effect on Darrow's journey throughout Red Rising? Were there any characters you didn't feature that almost made the cut? I'm sorry, Ben. I guess this question, these next two kind of exclude you because it's more of a Hell Reaper specific. I think Ben only should answer that. Yeah, Ben, why don't you go ahead and take this one? Um, So, uh, no, no. we actually did a lot of um, we did like test episodes essentially. Yeah. And we before we actually like recorded, it was just Jeremy and I in this same space we're in right now, his little studio room. And we found that we actually tried other episodes. We actually had a Titus episode. Uh, we had a Mateo Mike focused episode mm-hmm. and uh, we were going to do a Severo focused episode. And we found that because these characters, they are great and fun to talk about. But as far as just like uh quantity of things to talk about you just the episodes got really short our mickey episode i think was like 24 minutes yeah and it was our probably our short or 22 or something like that it was our shortest one we felt like the character was so important we had to do it despite its uh, brevitivity uh so i think that's the problem is we, we if we those other episodes would have been even shorter because when we build these episodes we want to give you guys immersive content we don't want to necessarily just go Hey, this character's cool. Let's just talk about it. You know, we we really do think about it. Our outlines are, um, you know, something we really value and we want to kind of we don't necessarily stick to them the whole time. We build a huge outline with a ton of different things we could talk about and we kind of skip around in those side, those outlines. And it just gives us like bullet points if we want to hit on them or not. And there's tons of stuff we leave on the table or on the computer sheet, essentially, for that. Uh, we just wanted to make sure that we everything we say or everything we said feels like it's relevant to the character, feels like it's relevant to Darrow because we've said before numerous times this is a Darrow-focused podcast and also relevant to Pierce Brown's vision uh, and in the story that he's telling. So we are going to do a several episode next season in season two. And we are, we're really excited. I was actually talking to one of our producers, uh, Mathar, about this, and I want to create like a whole bunch of crap for that like it's gonna be like sick like we're really excited for it um, i was about to ask you guys is like how much crap are you getting for not having an ever yeah episode? you know none other than I me mean, we actually got we actually got this question numerous times yeah um from maya we got it in different ways so i think that we wanted we liked hers her wording the best but yeah we didn't um include probably like one of the favorite characters uh because I don't think it's it's it hasn't sunk in yet, Ben. Because when it does, I think we will get questions about. Yeah, people why are like, "Hey, we didn't. why did you do yeah, several?" They, like, they yeah. haven't realized it yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. Anything you want to add to that? No, I I I think you you handled it quite well. Yeah, we we didn't want. It's not that we wanted to disclude characters or like not be inclusive with certain characters. It's just that we wanted to be very intentional um, with the characters we brought to focus and. I mean, we had a Julian episode and not a Severo episode. I mean, I I, people probably thought that was wild, but. We actually did a Instagram poll like like recently, like this last week, saying, hey, what was your favorite episode of Hail Reaper? And Julian was like, came up a lot. People really liked that episode, which I was like thrilled about because for you and I, that was one of, if not our favorite, that was yeah. our favorite episode. I was going to say that was probably my favorite one. episode of you guys. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> I um, that one. It was really good. So let's wrap this thing up with uh, Stephanie's question is the last one there, Ben. Okay. Stephanie says, besides character studies, are things planned for the future of the pod? Yeah, so on this one, I think we actually have different ways of answering this. So I'll start off with my future of the pod. Uh, You know, at the the top of the episode, uh, Philip kind of talked about the break we're going to be taking. That's going to be roughly a month. 
um, we'll, we'll have additional time up until uh, season two comes out. Season but, two is January 2021. Yeah. But we're going to, yeah. But, but in that time, um, we will be doing things. You know, not only do we have our regular Patreon episodes, which explore anything under the sun that, that we decide or that our patrons decide for us to talk about, um, we're also actually doing um, interviews. And we're going to kind of drop those every other week in our format, uh, a couple of special episodes there where we want to actually bring in content creators uh, from the world. They not only have been incredibly welcoming, part of why we have you, Ben, I mean, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're a content creator that's been incredibly welcoming in the community. And it when we came in, I guess we didn't know how, what to expect, but people have just been amazing and just made all the room in the world for us. And it wasn't a, a big deal at all. And we want to just thank them by by helping their exposure in whatever way we can. I mean, yeah. I, I don't I don't necessarily know we help, but bringing them on, talking to them about their role, uh, how they came to it, you know, what their expertise is and, and kind of their experience in the fan community is something that we want to explore with them. Yeah, Red Rising is a really cool community to be a part of. And we were not a part of it at all until Hail Reaper. Like we checked like certain, you know, uh, Instagram accounts and Red Rising Reddit but we didn't like we weren't like active. We didn't know anybody within the community. And we just kind of popped in, started dropping some trailers and some little videos. And then people were like, hey, this is really cool. We're like, oh, thanks. Like, we've never done a podcast before. We've never done any kind of media like this before. So it was really surprising to see how welcoming the community was because we I think we anticipated pushback uh, for whatever reason. Um, I think that's just the hostility, just nervousness on our part. I think it's the hostility of like the Star Trek, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings crowds. Like (laughs) it's It's out there. Those people are nuts and they're also lovely people in that. But they they're um, you have to like earn your stripes, I guess, so to speak. Red Rising is not a community like that whatsoever. Um, And it was that's shown in the the activity that we have um, on like various social media accounts. And it's shown the activity by people writing us on email and people downloading our show. Like it's been amazing to be a part of something so quickly. I, I Ben, did you have a similar experience when you guys created Howard Pod a year ago? For sure. Um, like when we started and introduced it to people, it was like nothing but support. And that's like why we were so happy to like support you guys and help you through this. Cause like, this is the identity of this community. Like all we want is for people to, talk about red rising with and promote how much we love red rising and how everyone should read it. And I love yeah. that about our community. I, I don't know. They're always so welcoming. They're always super supportive. Um, and it's, it's just been, it's been great. I have so many new friends from starting yeah. this podcast and that's like the coolest thing that could ever happen. What's going to give some dates, just like hard dates, I guess, just really briefly. Um, for, we're going to be doing a special episode to kind of bridge the gap between season one and season two. The first one's going to start on November 30th. Is that correct? I believe so. And then we're going to do <laughs> episodes every other week. So we're taking several weeks off. Like yeah. all of November, essentially, we're not going to have an episode. Correct. But we'll be back on November 30th. We're going to go every other week until um, season, two. season two, which will be, I, I don't want to get a hard date on that, but in the middle end of January 2021. And that is going to be all about Golden Sun. Uh, talking about new characters, um, you know, so I, I guess the, for, you know, the format, I guess kind of going back a little bit, um, the format of our show, again, I just want to like kind of reiterate this so it makes a little bit of an impact going forward if you did listen all the way through this. Um, you know, we're, again, we're a Darrow-focused podcast. Like, it's about him. We we named the podcast Hail Reaper because we want to live the story behind his eyes. And so we talk about his friends and we talk about maybe his enemies. We talk about who these people are in relation to Darrow. And so, that's why we kind of dive on. It's like, I know it's not the same kind of character study that uh, Hallerpod does. They kind of, you guys do like the broader overview. You talk about totality. You talk about impact. You talk about um, meaning. Uh, you guys do. A, yeah. I, I love that it's so different, even though we're kind of in the same ballpark, but completely opposite spectrums as far as like how the uh, we celebrate the characters, which really makes it a full like. It really rounds out the the fan universe, so I like that a lot. A lot of people in their feedback, I think Ben, you probably hear this too, is how they enjoy both of our podcasts simultaneously because they fill out different different areas. For sure, you guys are definitely bringing a, a, a different angle than us. I've enjoyed listening to your guys' stuff just as much as I've enjoyed doing Hallerpod. So I appreciate yeah, what you, you guys. Have Likewise, done. Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so until November thirtieth, Hail Reaper! Hail Reaper! Hail Reaper! Thanks to Pierce Brown for writing the beloved Red Rising series. A special thanks to Tim, our engineer and sound designer. 
Check out his music on Spotify by looking for the link in our podcast description. And thanks to all our contributors who made this show possible. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your respective podcast platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at HailReaperPod, and you can email us at HailReaperPod at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, please take a look on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash HailReaper. Until next time, for my co-host Philip, I'm Jeremy. Thanks for listening.